Dear Lord, thank you so much for every second that you give us um, of the Lord's Day to come together to worship you. Thank you that there is a corporate element to being your child, that uh, yes, of course, you set your love individually on us, call us to be yours, uh, yet you also call us to come together on the Lord's Day and to uh, proclaim the truth of your word, to be taught through your word. And that's what this particular time is set aside for, is for things to discuss and to ask and to answer and to deepen our thought and to, and to think about things we would otherwise probably not hear um, in, a, in a message per se. So, Lord, we pray that it would be time well spent, that we would be wiser for having been here this morning, and that that might bear itself in a godly, obedient fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let me go through some introductory things. Um, as if you read it all, the newsletters that go out uh, weekly, you've picked, probably picked up on a pattern, which is I tend to goof something up um, many weeks. So meaning dates and all that. Um, the men's breakfast I goofed up uh, this last week, and then the week before I goofed up the start date of this class. Um, and so this is the real start date of this class. <laughs> it's really starting. Um, strange new world. So what it is that we're going to be doing in this class is we're going to look critically at some topics um, that have to do with the current sexual revolution gender issues, pornography, and in a more comprehensive sense, the idea of identity and the application of scripture. What does scripture have to say about these things? Um, I should probably, um, I'm sorry, I'm glad I saw you up here, Cindy. Um, I wrote, if your name is on the board next to a scripture, please be prepared to read it. We've got quite a bit of stuff to go through, so if you could have that ready, and then Nick will bring the mic to you when it's time, that would be great. I apologize. I know it's under, um, there's a light that doesn't work right above it, so it's a little difficult to see uh, towards the back, and I know the green writing is a little more difficult as well, but um, uh, hopefully you can, you can see what you need to there, but... Um, I think what's helpful is at the outset, I want to make sure I tell you what we're not doing. A lot of times that's kind of helpful, is uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what's referred to commonly now as identity politics. But that said, the class is not about politics. I know that's in the word, I know that's in the title, the phrase, identity politics, but the class is not about politics. Uh, now the issues themselves are absolutely politically oriented. But we're not here to focus on political parties, candidates, platforms, well, who stands where and which party tends to be. None of that. You can figure that stuff out on your own. That's on you. That's not what we're doing here in the Sunday school class. Um, what we want to know as Christians, as God's children, is these issues are real. They are current in our society. We get it all the time. We're bombarded by it. In movies, in television, it's just more and more uh, emboldened, brazen. And the question is, what does the scripture say about these things? And what do we do about it? So as to the why we're doing the class, um, in fact, I, I guess what's a little bit, I guess a, a little bit ironic is if you did happen to read the most recent devotional, I'm, I wrote about... 
making sure that we're not taking up a cause that would, that in a way, um, or, or taking that cause so seriously that it's an obstacle to the gospel. So we want to make sure that we're not doing that. But the extreme, the other direction, is to say, well, why can't we just kind of close our eyes to all these things? Aren't those the world's problems? They're the ones coming up with it, right? I mean, they're, they're the ones dreaming this stuff up. Can't we just pretty much close our eyes, just stay the course with um, the, 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 the concepts, the, the, the topics that we preach on, uh, about, about following Jesus and just not really touch on these things at all? Can we, do we really need to do this? And I would say that we do, and let me tell you why, is that Satan has a goal and God has a directive. Satan has a goal and God has a directive. So, Let's look at Satan's goal. So my first Peter, chapter 5, that's PJ. He's your only Peter. Uh, yeah. well, uh, oh, boy. First Peter 5, verses uh, 8 and 9. Please. 8 and 9. <clears throat> be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Okay, so based on that script, okay, by the way, hang on to the microphone, hang on to the microphone. I should have added this. By your name being up there, it's entirely possible that you're also going to have to answer a question related to the scripture. So that's just an added thing. Bring it. So, uh, because otherwise, if I just open it up to to everybody on each of these, we're not going to get through it. So, PJ. PJ. Based on the scripture you just read, what is Satan's goal in that scripture? Uh, to devour me. Correct. To devour, and what other, what other word is in there? Uh, suffering. Um, destroy. See, destroy. He is seeking someone to destroy. And within those same scriptures, how are we to respond to that concept? What are we supposed to do? Uh, be sober-minded, yes. watchful, yes, firm in our faith. Okay, so the whole concept you can you can hand on the the whole concept of being sober-minded and being watchful. I would suggest means that we cannot be willfully ignorant. The idea of throwing our blinders on and just saying that's the world's problem; those folks are nuts. You know is not my they're not my issue i can't fix that i can't fix stupid that's stupid i can't fix stupid and so therefore i'm just going to talk about jesus exclusively and not let it touch let my education knowing about these things touch that i would say that this scripture addresses that by saying be sober-minded and watchful and that we have no right to be willfully ignorant or intentionally naive like oh hey i don't know anything about that and don't tell me anything about that Now, as to God's directive, we have Ephesians 5, the first 11 verses. Go ahead. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as, as, as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, there is a lot of stuff in there. Uh, tell me this, Gerald, what is the overarching topic? And I will, I will give you a, a little um, uh, hint here. There are three things that are mentioned two times, like they're all three, they're kind of said together. What, what, is, kind of, what, is, what is this scripture, the overarching thing it's trying to address? Well, I, I think I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer that I think you want, but it looks like to me it's about our identity in Christ and and um, no, the actual words right out of the right out of the verses, verse verse three. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. We're saints. We're children of God. We're we're children of the light. Is that uh, is that what you're? No. Oh, the first verse is that no, what you said? Three, three. Ephesians five three. I mean, it's talking as is proper among saints. It's talking about um, purity, moral purity. There we go. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. And then it goes on with the instructions. And then he hits the exact same thing again down to verse 5. Be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, and then it says that is an idolater. So... Uh, the point being is that here is this overarching topic that we have that God is presenting before us. Like, hey, as it relates to these things, sexual immorality to impurity and to covetousness, and then it gives all of, I mean, it's just packed full of instruction. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. Um, these folks have no inheritance. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And it's because of this that the wrath comes. Therefore, do not become partners with them. And then the, the really the big uh, thing I wanted to point out out of this whole thing that you just read, Gerald, was that in verse 11, what is the directive that we have from God as it relates to this stuff? Uh, to expose the works of darkness? There it is, right there. Take no part, of course. That's like the, that's the 101. Take no part in it. So if, if it stopped there, we could probably do the, I don't know about it, I don't want to know about it, don't talk to me about it, I just, just change the channel, uh, let's move on and pay no attention. Um, but the verse doesn't stop there. It says, but instead expose them. Now, we can't expose things that we know absolutely nothing about. So there's a balance here. We can't be consumed with it. We absolutely can't allow taking this up um, to 
cause, us, cause it to be an, an obstacle to the gospel. But at the same time, we cannot, we don't get to be willfully ignorant and intentionally naive when it comes to the topics, um, as it's listed here, of sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Okay, in the, uh, whoever's got Matthew 24, so in the Olivet, so this is the Olivet Discourse, this is Matthew's um, version of that. Um, Jesus described a process that the Christian should expect to be sober-minded and watchful. So PJ read that in his. So whoever's got it, go ahead and read Matthew 24, verses uh, 11 to 13. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, so lawless... Is lawlessness is going to increase and a decline of the love of Christ. And so in there it's telling us that we are supposed to be looking for false prophets. We don't just roll up the windows of the car, turn on the Christian music, come straight to church, go home, shut the door, close the blinds, right? We're supposed to be looking for the false prophets. So as a question, so this does kind of go in general, and you can just, you don't need the mic for this because I'll just repeat, the, uh, repeat your answers. But first of all, do you believe that these issues have a negative effect on all local churches? So I'm not even talking about the specifically Bible preaching, gospel-based church. Like, does this have an effect on the churches at large, the local church at large? Yes? yes. We would all agree? Okay, I would even tell you uh, as an example, for me, right down the street from my house is a church that has a, and it's clearly an intentional, uh, you know, rainbow uh, thing on their church sign. And it, and it, I forget what the verbiage is, something about all kinds welcome, all whatever welcome. And it's clear that the message that they're trying to send is it has a connection directly to sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. I mean, it's just right there. It impacts. And they wouldn't do that if this wasn't a real thing that was taking place in our world and wasn't important to our world. They, they wouldn't do it. If something else was important to the world right now, the sign would have something else on it. But that is important, and so it does. All right, well, as it relates to our actual solid gospel preaching, biblically-based churches, does it also have an impact or do we it's like well that's out there not in here of course the answer is yes here um, uh, the in, because every church is made up of individuals right we come together corporately to worship God but we are individuals and the individuals that make up the church the individuals that are sitting in here right now are saturated with this stuff you're surrounded by it you don't. What you can choose. You can say you don't want to see it. You don't want to know about it, and you still can't help it. It is everywhere. It's in headlines. It's in commercials. It's in TV shows. It's on Netflix. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a cat. It's its own category in all of these areas. Like you cannot escape it. Even if you're like, well, yeah, I'm not going to watch those shows. You're still faced with all the categories and the and like the offerings. Like, hey, but it's here for you. So this is the world that is looking at us square in the eye. Um, Matthew ten sixteen. please read that. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Are you, are you on? I don't think Sorry. your mic's on. He's on, the mic's off now. 
Yeah. It is now. All right. We don't want, we don't want all of our friends across the world okay. listening to this. To Behold, out. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Okay. So, Gary, yes. is the only commandment to be innocent as doves? No. What else are we supposed to be? Be wise as serpents. Wise as serpents. That's exactly right. And in fact, we are supposed to be wise as, wise as serpents in a world full of wolves in which God has sent us. God is the one sending us among the wolves. He's telling us that there are wolves. And yet we are supposed to be wise as serpents at, um, among them while still innocent as doves. Which ties directly with what uh, Gerald was reading earlier from Ephesians 5, where, uh, where it ends there in verse 11 of take no part. There's your innocent as doves. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but as it relates to wise as serpents, but instead expose them. So we see these things working in tandem. Okay, so it leads to the question that we're going to try to answer. So this is, this is part of that why we're doing the class. The question we're trying to answer is how, in heaven's name, did we get here? Mm-hmm. Um, the adversary wants you to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? Mm-hmm. The, it, it, look, if you're not going to participate in knowing, if you're the kind of person that says, hey, I just, just don't talk to me about it, I just the less I know the better, then honestly, um, assuming that you're not going to be an active participant in it, then that's probably the best place, the most effective place for the evil one that you could be. But um, we are going to draw the curtain back and see how we have gotten to the point that there is, in fact, a drag queen story hour for kids aged 3 to 11. Like, that's the, that's the intended age right there. It's right there, 3 to 11, the drag queen story hour. Or the fact that Arizona legislators have had to introduce, it's right now in process, to prevent minors from participating in irreversible and, in quotes, gender transition procedures, close quote. Close quote. So in other words, it's to the point where they've got to put a law down to keep minors from getting irreversible uh, sex change physical procedures done. So what we're using to go through this here, and I brought... Uh, copies just so you know what it looks like is this is Carl Truman's book and it's called Strange New World How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution by Carl R. Truman. So this is the book, this is the study guide, so that's kind of the basis of of what I'm using here. So we better get cooking here. So as far as the how this is going to go down, um, I'm using the book and the study guide and through a combination of history and theology. So I, what motivated me on this particular Sunday school was I, I heard him, I've heard him speak a bunch on podcasts and stuff, but he was being interviewed about this book, and he was giving just this, he was just laying out the timeline and kind of how things unfolded and how it is we got here. And I thought that, in that short description, it was helpful for me to understand, instead of just being completely offended and, and, and uh, blown over by, by the repulsiveness of the sin, it's like, well, he was kind of talking through where uh, the steps that took place that got us here. So we're going to examine the trajectory that got us here so that we're wise as serpents while being sent into a world of wolves. Now, I will say there is some historical details. If you're not, you know, if you're a history person, there are parts of it you're just going to 
eat up. If you're the kind of person that's like, ugh, those kind of details or some technical language, um, maybe not, but I do think it's very helpful and we should be exposed to it. Okay, uh, the gener this is a quote directly from the book. The generation gap today is reflected not simply in fashion and music, but in attitudes and beliefs about some of the most basic aspects of human existence, close quote. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, we all agree that it isn't just, oh, hey, that guy's older, he wears different clothes, you know, and that kind of, there is, there is something there that has to do with um, this idea of the um, uh, human existence. So uh, in a class that I teach for uh, a local university, um, the, uh, one of the things that I bring up in one of the classes is this idea, this concept of a digital immigrant versus a digital native. I don't know if you've heard those terms, but the concept behind that is basically if you were born before the 80s, and I know they give it a, kind of a, a, a more distinct date, I think, but just generally, you'll understand the principle. If you were born before the 80s, you would be referred to as a digital immigrant. If you were born after the 80s, you know, mid 80s, after the 80s, somewhere in there, you would be a digital native. That would mean then that those of us that are digital immigrants, there are things we did not grow up with, right? This is not about better, worse, okay? I'm just saying it's just fact. We, there are things we did not grow up with. We did not grow up with cell phones. We did not grow up with internet. Did not grow up with social media. And these are huge things that for digital natives, that from the day they were born, my children are digital natives. They grew up in a world where the internet is, it's, it always exists, like what's life without internet? You can't even, there's no, there's nothing, you can read books, but that's about it. And so what that does is that shapes your paradigm, that shapes how you even see the world because your world has always had the internet. And then you add in the fact that you have access to cell phones and of course social media and all that kind of stuff. So there's that, just that general concept, you can understand that. Well, what I'm suggesting is that this whole concept and these issues that we're talking about have a direct correlation to that same type of thinking. So my children are uh, digital natives and I'm a digital immigrant, but I suggest that my children are, if we just want to call this sexual revolution, just to give it shorthand, are sexual revolution immigrants and my grandchildren are sexual revolution natives. My grandchildren, some of which attend this church, little fellas, right, little people, the whole world, they're, they're not going to know a world without these issues just being in the background. Now, where they're going to go is its own whole own separate like, we don't know where it's going to land. We don't know what, where it's going to, you know, we're just talking about how we got here. But the point is that this stuff is important because it's disorienting for us to think about this stuff. Like, this is so just out of bounds. It is just so crazy. How can we even try to reconcile these things? But we have to remember that if any of you have either children or in my case, grandchildren that are growing up in this world, that means they are not going to know a world where it didn't exist. The phrases that we hear, 
that are absolutely shocking will just be everyday language. It's already becoming assimilated into the workplace and everything like that. But at least even my son has worked as a professional for many years without those things being part of HR or part of the language. Like, I had an entire career where that stuff didn't exist, and yet now my grandchildren won't even, won't even be onboarded without that stuff being there. So the result is currently we immigrants, so that would include my children, we immigrants, so all those sitting in the room right here um, in this regard, it's, for us it's disorienting, and um, we need to realize that as we raise our children and our grandchildren, the children of this church, that in the future it's going to be disorienting for them in a different way because this is what's going to happen. They're going to get old enough to leave the house. They're going to be saturated by it, by the world. And then they're, when they're inundated by the norms of the world, they're going to start asking questions and going, well, wait a minute. This is not what I was taught in my church. This is not what I was taught in my house. My mom and dad didn't teach me these things. This is alarming. There, there's a crisis right there. And they could, they could start thinking to themselves, well, you know, there were generations that thought slavery was okay. And, you know, there were generations that, like, would uh, have capital punishment for what really seems to be trivial issues. They, they executed people thing. You know, so th there were entire generations that really got some big stuff wrong. I wonder, I wonder if my parents, I wonder if my church really missed on this one. Because the whole rest of the world that they're growing up in says, this is what's right. And it's not. <laughs> it's not right at all. So you can see how the disorientation can take place there. We're disoriented now because it's happening in front of us, but we have an entire other generation that's coming up. Okay. Um, so theologically, we know that the battle against sin ultimately is the battle against self. Right? That is, that's really what it comes down to. The Bible tells us to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Deny yourself. That's like foundational to the Christian life. The Bible tells us that true love involves laying down your life for another. The Bible says to count others what? More significant, more important than yourself. It calls us to present, uh, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All of this sacrificial language. Scripture, right? Saturated with it. It's just give, give, sacrifice, deny yourself. So here's the first major thing to understand. The first concept to understand. In the current worldly context, the notion of self is not it is not only not to be sacrificed. That we already knew all that. That's sin. Like that's just your child. You know, you know your your infant child throwing a fit when they don't get. Like we already know that part. The con uh, the, the notion of self. But in this current context, the notion of self is not only not to be sacrificed. It is to be cultivated. Not only is it to be cultivated, it is to be elevated. In fact, it is to be elevated to the point that others 
uh, that you exert or force your view of yourself on other people. See, that's different than just being selfish. Now it's I demand myself, I, I demand that, you, that what I think about myself onto you. And you need to respond appropriately. So here's another quote uh, from the book, uh, quote from Truman. The modern self assumes the authority of inner feelings and sees authenticity as defined by the ability to give social expression to the same. The modern self also assumes that society at large will recognize and affirm this behavior. Close quote. It might be easier to think of the opposite. Think of this. I'm not whole unless others recognize and approve of my feelings about myself. You have no right to deny how I feel about myself, and you must agree. Truman notes that it bears itself out in three ways. And I've put these, I've gone ahead and, and written them up here. Again, I apologize to those that are farther back and can't read them. I'll tell you what it says. And this is, uh, you know, these are the titles that he's given these three different areas. It bears itself out in three ways. The first is expressive individualism. Uh, we'll walk through each of these just real briefly. But uh, it's express, expressive individualism, sexual revolution, and what he calls the social imaginary. So as far as expressive individualism, this is a phrase that was coined by a guy named, a uh, sociologist named Robert Bella, B-E-L-L-A-H, Robert Bella, Bella. Uh, and he, this is how he defines the term, quote, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Are you seeing where these concepts are running headlong, like two rams on a mountainside into each other, uh, that it's running into the concept of scripture that says, deny yourself. And here we have a world where expressive individualism says that your unique core feeling and intuition, which is true, each of us, you know, has whatever, whatever, you know, that is a, a unique core feeling intuition, but that it should, so you already have uh, language there that's um, uh, basically an opinion type thing that should unfold or be expressed if, if individualities to be realized. He also writes, so this is that same guy quote, um, the culture of authenticity, so very key right there. Authenticity is one where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from the outside by society, the previous generation, or religious or political authority. Could you read that one more time? Absolutely. That great. Absolutely. Uh, the quote by Robert Bella is, um, and my brackets are the culture of authenticity because it's from earlier, but it's, quote, the culture of authenticity, 
So it can only be real. This is the only way that, that it's real. The culture of authenticity is one where each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. What you decide is what goes and don't think for a second that there's any outside force, any, you know, uh, authority, whether it be the previous generation, society, these, these cultural norms, you know, what church you came up with in, you know, the political authority, all those things, they have no right to invade. Now, as it relates to this, let's look at a couple of verses of what scripture has to say. Who's got my Genesis 1? Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay. Carol, don't hand the microphone. Oh, keep it hot. Keep it hot. All right, Carol. Who are we? What are we? Created in the image of God. Boom. Nailed it. Okay. I got one follow-up question. What is noticeably absent from this verse? I heard somebody say it might have been Sean. Oh, bingo! Gerald yes, nailed it. Yes. So, and what did he say, Carol? Because nobody else heard the it. self. Self. There's nothing to do with self in there. You are who you are because you were made by God the way that He decided to make you, but based on as an image of God. It has nothing to do with you defining who you are. You are not in that verse. Genesis one. Right at, the, right at the outset. All right, Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All, throng, all things were created through him and for him. All right, Paul, here's your question. Why these people that are made in the image of God why do they exist? For? Well, God created us, and there's a for and a through and a two. Who's the him? For him being through, through, through him being God, and for him. Let's, let's narrow it just a little bit. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So the him in this verse. So the hymn in this verse is Christ. So we're made in the image of God, and the purpose that we are created was for, by, through, to, we're, we're here for Christ. What is noticeably absent from that verse as far as our purpose is related, Paul? Not for ourselves. Correct. It has nothing to do with us, ourself. He didn't create us for us, for us and this expressive individualism. He didn't set us in motion and say, you go tiger, and you be all you can be, and you let me know who you want to be, all right? All right, second thing, the sexual revolution. Now, the sexual revolution is a form, so I don't know, maybe a subset. This is a form of express, expressive individualism. 
Now, when I say sexual revolution, I know that based on generations and everything like that, there might be some of you that automatically think of 60s love child. That is not what we're talking about. Um, that particular sexual revolution was about being liberated from these antiquated, you know, like Victorian prudish moral principles. And so it expanded uh, in promiscuity, homosexuality, pornography, just to name a few. That's what that kind of sexual revolution kind of pushed, like, hey, these things are more acceptable. We should be able to do these things. We want to do them, we should be able to do these things. So that was that, but that is not what we're talking about here. The difference now is that that behavior has expanded, first of all, to include things like transgenderism, but also it is not only acceptable, so whereas that previous uh, you know, love child type, type mindset is that, hey, let's make this acceptable, now it must be celebrated. We have to celebrate it. And anyone that disagrees with those sexual desires as a form of their expressive individualism is repudiated. You must recognize that. You must accept it. You must legitimize it. This is what the culture is saying. And that's the idea of this particular sexual revolution. You have to acknowledge it, and you have to accept it. I want you to celebrate it, or you will pay certain penalties socially, culturally, um, politically. All right, Ephesians, uh, well, uh, so whoever's got Ephesians 5.22, be ready, hang on. Let me read one quote from Truman. Uh, quote, if the individual's inner identity is defined by sexual desire, then he or she must be allowed to act out on that desire in order to be an authentic person. Close to it. Close quote. If you, hey, you're denying that person. If you are saying that that behavior is wrong, then now you are denying them from being an authentic person. How dare you? That's the, that's the, that's the thinking. Okay, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, Mark, where does sexuality come from? From God. Very, thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a softball. It comes from God to begin with. All right? Now, what is the relationship between a husband and a wife ultimately a picture of based on the scripture? The relationship between Christ and the church. There you go. Excellent. And then um, what kind of purpose does this give to sexual expression, and how would this purpose be different from what our contemporary culture tells us about sex? Well, the purpose it gives is to um, think of 
give pleasure to the, our partner, to our spouse, rather than selfishly. And it also um, involves rather than being, um, having to be able to be expressed, to be authentic, it, needs, and it also shows us the framework that is godly way for it to be expressed, to be authentic. Exactly. And so it's given by God to begin with, and that thing that is given to us as a gift is to be practiced, as you've described, sacrificially. And all of that, anyway, is there as a picture to something that is much greater, which is Christ and his relationship with the bride, the church. And none of this, in any aspect, is about us. Again, we see noticeably absent from any of this about it being about us. It is the antithesis of what our current culture says, which is whatever your urges are that you have to please yourself, you must be able to exercise those or you are not authentic. God's word in Ephesians 5, to 23 is saying, no, that this whole thing has been given to a man and a, a husband and a wife because it is a gift from him that reflects the greater relationship of Christ and uh, to his bride, the church. All right, and then lastly, the social imaginary. I know that's a kind of a, um, a unique title there, but this is uh, what, what he's doing here is he's talking about this is to consider why we think the way we do. So here's a quote. We imagine it to be in certain ways, talking about kind of the world. We imagine it to be in certain ways, physically and indeed morally, closed quote. So um, a couple of examples that he had given, you know, when you grab a cup of coffee, you don't think about the physics of the cup and the coffee and the mug, you know, the liquid and all those things. It's just intuitive. You just, you know that this is the way things are and they work. You can basically do it with your eyes closed. Um, In short, people hold convictions based on how they imagine things to be, not really based on a logical, convincing argument. So you're not doing all that because it's like, well, the physics of, you know, coffee and the heat and the molecules and they bounce around and, you know, you don't do, you, you live in a world based on this kind of intuition of how you perceive the world to be. And so that's how you respond and you act. Now, this is different than um, uh, epistemology, which deals with how do you know what you know. This is different because it's more about why do you believe what you believe? It's like, well, why do I think this way? And for the unbeliever, they're flying by the seat of their pants, right? The unbeliever, they don't, they're not grounded. They're not attached to firm. They're whatever the culture, the wind, and James, right? Carried about by the wind, you know, winds of doctrine. Well, that's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, so Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay. So, Wayne, if that's the starting point right there that you just read, should we be surprised in the slightest way that this is where we've landed, that we're right now we've gotten? Definitely not. No. No, it's deceitfully wicked. If this is the starting point, it's no wonder that this whole idea of expressive individualism 
that bears itself out in sexual de deviance exists and that it's fiercely defended to the point that you're basically persecuted if you don't celebrate it. All right, and then let's close with 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. So the, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, mm -hmm. and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. That is a great place to stop right there based on all this madness. It's what we're believing, what we're preaching, what we hide in our heart, what we're teaching our children is foolishness to the world, but it is truth. It is rock solid. It's from the very... Uh, word of God. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've gotten. Uh, thank you for opening our eyes to these things, helping us to, to kind of absorb and to understand and manipulate it in our minds and to see where it's coming from, how we've gotten here so that we might not be quite so um, um, rocked and shocked, but instead that we might see it for what it is, that we might be uh, wise as serpents. But Lord, please keep us innocent as doves, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.